uh, got cochlear implants. So you're witnessing the first time she ever heard a sound in her entire life, um, which is pretty cool. There's a ton of videos like that on YouTube, which is pretty much the only corner of the internet that I like 100% approve of um, and that I would recommend all of you guys go watch because um, I was very emotional when I was uh, watching all of those um, to try to pick the best one. But I really like that, just her the impact that sound had um, on her when she could finally bypass that damaged ear and let that sound go right into her brain um, that she could really perceive it. Um, and that video really reminds me of two things that I love. And one is a little off topic, so bear with me. Um, when I was telling my wife this, she just kind of rolled her eyes at me. But um, if you think about it, uh, sound doesn't like really exist. It's not like a thing. It's not like a thing you can pick up. It's just like little vibrations that go through the air and that your ear picks up and somehow makes something in your brain and lets you understand what it is. And our God, our creator, is so good that he made this tiny little thing, something that he used to create the universe, that we can experience it and understand it and even find beauty in it. We find beauty in music. We find beauty in hearing our kids laugh. I was talking to my daughter uh, last night, and I was just thinking, like, I could sit here and listen to your voice until the end of time, and I still wouldn't get enough. But just that beauty of, of sound, and it just reminds me so much of a, the goodness of God. Um, and number two, it reminds me of the passage we're reading today, which might sound odd, but it reminds me of the gospel and what it means to understand the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Um, so the, the, the woman in this video and all the people that um, are deaf and get these cochlear implants, uh, they had a normal. Their normal was they couldn't hear. They can't even imagine a world in which they can hear. As much as they want to, they, they will just never understand that until they experienced it, until they heard sound for the first time, and it was so beautiful that she couldn't even contain her. She, could, she couldn't talk. She was just crying. And I think it's the same when we truly experience Jesus. It's something like so unimaginable. We don't even know what we're missing out on. And then one day we experience Jesus and we truly encounter him. And then there's no stopping his goodness in our lives, which I love. Um, so those who follow Jesus now, they had this previous normal which was something that they were just doing. They were kind of going on autopilot in the world. And then they experienced Jesus, and that became the new normal. Um, and I think that's exactly how the disciples felt in our passage today, which is Mark 10, 23 through 27. And I would like to invite Neva up to read um, this morning. Is Neva out there? There you are. You can come up here. Um, and if you guys would stand for the reading of God's word. Um, again, Mark 10, 23 through 27. Thanks, Neva. It's a privilege to read God's word, isn't it? Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Great. Thank you all. You can have a seat. Thanks, Neva. If you ever want to record an audiobook, I would buy it. So today, I really just want to walk through this passage with you guys and just understand exactly what's going on, exactly what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And keep in mind that Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, the disciples just watched Jesus have this really difficult conversation. That's what uh, Pastor Brandon preached about last week. He just had this really difficult conversation with this rich young ruler, as we like to call him. Um, and, And this man, obviously rich, He kept the Old Testament commands almost perfectly, and he really did, it seems like he desired good things. And the disciples were probably looking at this guy, and they were the guy that they were trying to emulate. He was kind of the best Jew that they had really ever seen up to this point. Um, After all, he had riches. He had all these blessings from God. Everyone seemed to love him. Um, But then something happens. Jesus sends him away, and he turns to the disciples in kind of a surprising way. And this morning, I want us to really notice the demeanor of Jesus. So this demeanor that Jesus has toward his disciples, he shifts his gaze to them. And after after watching this rich young ruler walk, walk away, head down in grief, he turns to his disciples and warns them about what happens. It's almost like a commentary on the conversation that he just gave. Jesus is giving a further explanation on what just happened. And I don't want us to look, overlook the, the really small detail that Mark includes in this gospel. Jesus looked around. And I know that seems a little bit insignificant, um, but he didn't immediately start speaking. I think Jesus sat in this tension for just a second as he was looking around. And Mark uses the same Greek a few other places, and it's really unique to his gospel, but it really denotes, um, and I think what's happening here is Jesus is commanding the situation. He's controlling the space. He's looking at each disciple in the face, right in the eyes, as he goes down the line of all of them, and he's trying to connect with all of them, because this is very important. Just put yourself there, imagining Je- imagine Jesus looking at you in the eyes as he's about to give you this stern teaching, um, and there's an important warning, and I think something that we can't skip this morning is that the danger of wealth is real. So although uh, being rich was like a particular idol, it was a particular idol for this rich young ruler um, that we read about in the previous section, but... Jesus doesn't teach that it was only his problem. It wasn't contained to that man just because he had a bunch of wealth. So let me read verse 23 if you want to look at that verse with me. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus doubles down in verse 25, perhaps one of the most picked out verses of the Bible. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what I'm not going to do this morning is I'm not going to weaken the statements of Jesus just to make us feel better about living in the wealthiest nation in the entire world on the planet. 
I think we need to sit in that tension for just a little bit this morning, uh, just like Jesus did. And we need to be really honest with ourselves because we have sin that is crouching at our door and it's ready to pounce. And we need to be really um, honest with ourselves. We need to understand what Satan is actively using in our world and our culture uh, to lure us away. We have to be aware. Um, and Jesus knew that this would be a disciple, a problem with his disciples. Um, they were poor. They were following Jesus. They had nothing. They left everything. Uh, and at some point, they were going to get tired of it. They were going to start chasing that money, just like the rich young ruler. And um, really, the the idea of a really devout Jew in that day was to see these blessings from God, to see material blessings from God, which nowadays we call the prosperity gospel. Um, but for example, in Genesis chapter 13, we read Abraham, known as the father of the faith. He was very rich. He had so much land that he had to send Lot away. He had to send him to another land because the land literally couldn't support everything he had, all the livestock, all of his riches, all of, all of their servants that they had. And we go a little further in the Bible. You read about Job. He's considered the greatest man in the East. He was known for all of his livestock, his huge family, all of his riches. Solomon, King Solomon was so rich. This is crazy, by the way. King Solomon was so rich, he got rid of his silver because it was in the way. He had so much gold that any silver he could possibly accumulate was worthless because it couldn't amount to the, uh, uh, the big pile of gold he had. So all of these great men in the Jewish faith, the disciples were looking up to. They were looking up to these guys. Um, and not only history was teaching this, or a misreading of history, I should say, but there was a teaching of the Pharisees in that day that wealth was this special blessing from God. It was like uh, if you were doing the right thing, if you were right with God, you would receive material blessings. Sounds a little bit familiar with some things we deal with today, right? So they were the dominant teaching of the day. They were controlling the temple teachings. Um, but actually, the Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit of insight to this like deception that they were into. Um, so if you look at Luke sixteen, uh, Luke chapter sixteen, verse fourteen, uh, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. Now keep in mind that verse was right after Jesus was teaching that you can't serve both God and money. So when they heard that, what do the Pharisees do? They start scoffing. They start making fun of Jesus because that's just a crazy concept to them. Um, but what they forgot was that the same King Solomon that was consumed for his love of women and money wrote this, anyone trusting in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like foliage. And the same Job that we just read about, who was, by the way, first identified as righteous, not wealthy, um, said this, if I placed my confidence in gold or called fine gold my trust, if I have rejoiced because my wealth is great or because my own hand has acquired so much, if I have gazed at the sun when it was shining or at the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and I threw them a kiss, this would also be an iniquity deserving punishment, for I would have denied God above. See, the, Jesus knew that these disciples didn't have a firm understanding of wealth. 
And really the biggest problem I believe with them and with the rich young ruler, that eternity was just another stepping stone. Eternity was just another thing to accumulate. The rich young ruler had everything. He followed the law. Everyone loved him. He was like the valedictorian in school who somehow had straight A's and had a six-pack and, you know, played 35 different sports and everyone loved him. That was this guy. That was the rich young ruler. Um, it was just another level up. Eternity was the only thing he didn't have. Um, and as Jesus breaks this down, the disciples were repeatedly astonished. I love that word. That's their reaction. They were amazed or they were astonished. Um, but they didn't seem all that dismayed about the riches or the wealth side of things. They were worried about this thing that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And I think this term, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, um, that's the key to understanding the gospel of Mark. And it's really the key to understanding the entire ministry of Jesus, which is why as a church, I think we really need to fully understand what the kingdom of God is. We have to fully understand the kingdom of God. And Jesus isn't saying that only wealth is a problem. The problem is we're all standing in front of a needle and we're all trying to get our camel through the needle with our own idols. And the biggest warning I think that we can take away from this passage um, is that, is that we are woefully inadequate in getting that camel through the needle. Um, notice what the disciples say. Notice the question that they ask. They say, then who can be saved? It's almost like they're looking at this guy, this rich, this rich young ruler, and they're saying, if that guy can't get in, how can I get in? How could I possibly get in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, how can I possibly enter your kingdom if he can't? And I'm afraid that as modern Christians, we understand or we read um, this term, the kingdom of God, as heaven. But I think that's a really inadequate definition of this. Uh, I'd like to take a little bit, um, look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Mark puts this at the beginning of his gospel because this is how Jesus started his ministry. So this is what Jesus said. Uh, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So let's be sure to understand the word time that Jesus uses in this. It's called karyos. It's in the Greek. Um, and it means the critical moment. It's a, a critical moment in history. It's, it's a time that's ordained by God. It's a thing to grasp. It's the thing to do. It's not just saying, at this particular time in history, this thing happened. It's the defining time. This is the moment that the world would be changed forever. So what is the good news that Jesus said that they need to believe. What's he urging them to believe? Uh, it's that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come to earth. Um, and this would have completely lit up the brains of the Jewish audience, right? Uh, finally, they would say, our Messiah has come. He's going to rule by the sword. Finally, after years of oppression, we won't be oppressed by Rome. Uh, we'll be raised in power. We're going to rule over the nations again. But this is the rub, as they say. Jesus started teaching things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You've heard of what it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child, uh, will, never, will never enter it. So what was the response of the Jewish leaders to all these teachings? They said, kill him. Kill him. That's not it. That's not what we want to do. And what, are the, what was the response of his own disciples? It's this astonishment. In fact, the, the disciples begin to worry. See, the thing about the kingdom of God is that it's dynamic in nature, which has always been confusing. Um, it's always existed. It's came to earth with Jesus, and then it's to fully come still. Uh, it represents both a current battle and uh, is promised to prevail over evil in the future. So what do we really do with this concept? I think that the key point is that the kingdom of God isn't future. It's not a future thing. It's right now. The kingdom of God has come. So uh, if it comes right now, if it exists right now, it necessitates the existence of something as sinister as God is holy. And what that is, is the kingdom of darkness. So the kingdom of darkness is very real it's very present, just like the kingdom of God. It's here and it's present, and it constantly beckons us with temptation. This is what Jesus is warning about. And that's why the kingdom of God is present. It's also active. It's completely unceasing in nature, and it's battling against evil at all times. And there's a clear uh, militarized front that's moving toward the enemy. It's very active, but again, it's not of this world. So this is what Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians. In their case, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom of God, is blocked in our mind by the deceiver. Uh, we can also call him the agent of chaos, the, the Satan. He's blocking that good news from our mind. And that's why the kingdom of God, it just happens to be the best news ever. Uh, because it's a God who fights for us. We have a God who fights against evil right now and will never lose. And not only is he fighting, but he's already won. He's promised that he's already won. So our God, Yahweh, makes a mockery of the world and, other, and the other gods of evil. I'm going to read a passage from the Psalm 74. God, my king, is from ancient times, performing saving acts on the earth. You divided the sea with your strength. You smashed the heads of the sea monsters in the water. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You feed him to the creatures of the desert. You opened up springs and streams. You dried up ever-flowing rivers. This is a pretty neat passage. Um, by the way, compare that passage to the creation account in Genesis. You'll see almost a shot-for-shot -shot remake. But what this psalm is saying is that from creation... God is controlling the chaos and the evil. Any uh, cultures around Israel that were worshiping any kind of God, lowercase g, gods, they make a mockery of them. He said, Yahweh came with so much force that they crushed their head and fed their body to the people of the desert. So I, I want to be really clear this morning. God has never one time not been in control. Even though evil exists, 
he has never one time vacated the throne. Jesus, when he came to earth, um, said this. He, he quite literally declared war against evil. He said, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus also sent a spirit uh, to continue the battle. Um, Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, all that said about the kingdom of God, if we understand the kingdom of God, then we also need to fully understand the gospel. So let's read the climax of the story. This is the best part. Um, the disciples were worried, completely distraught. They couldn't get into the kingdom by themselves, by their own power. Uh, but Jesus redeems them, and he gives them the best hope that we could ever ask for. This is what verse 27 says. Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. So by the grace of God, we are saved. Don't stop reading at the getting your camel through the eye of a needle because, of course, it's impossible. Of course, you can't fit the camel through the eye of a needle. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and I'm so thankful for it because with God, everything is possible. And this is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel I found in Mark because it summarizes why we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus not because of some hope, not because of this or that, not because we want to feel better. We follow Jesus because he's the king. We follow Jesus because he's the ruler of the kingdom of God. Remember back to Mark 1.15, Jesus only asked two things. That's all we need to do, repent and believe. And I know a lot of us recoil at that word, repent. We don't like that word. We don't like using it. It's been kind of abused. Um, It's been abused by street preachers and people who tell us to repent or go to hell. But the one thing that that word really means, it literally means to change one's mind. It means to turn away and to turn back to God. Whatever direction you're going, repentance just means turning away. Uh, back to God. And, and many of us say, yeah, of course, I repented. I feel bad. I said I'm sorry. And I can't knock that, those feelings. I can't knock that thing. That's a great start. But repentance in and of itself is so much bigger. Because if you change your mind, that means you change your ways. It means you change your way of life. You turn to Jesus. You run away from sin. And we do that Because the reward of Jesus is so much greater than anything we could ever find in this world. I'm going to read a a parable that Jesus beautifully illustrates this reward. And this is the kid's time uh, memory verse. So if I start doing my motions, um, just ignore me. But the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of the fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. Thanks, Ogarth. Uh, So once we encounter this Jesus on our own journey and we fully accept his message, we have no choice but to turn. We have no choice but to go to him. We turn away from our possessions because the reward is so much greater. Um, So before we encounter Jesus, we're completely blind to him. We live our lives on this autopilot setting. And when we meet Jesus, when we encounter him, 
our entire being changes. Just like the woman who receives cochlear implants, we start hearing and seeing Jesus and we experience just this beauty, this life-giving thing, and the decision to walk away just becomes absolutely unavoidable from the world. The Spirit hits you in things that, it hits you in ways that you can't ever have imagined. It's not even something you can imagine in your own mind. Uh, It's ways that you don't even know that you needed. And then it hits you that all things are possible with God. And the thing I love about the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, isn't just that our good works will never be enough, but it's that what humans have made impossible, God has made completely possible. So God is calling us to inherit this kingdom in the full glory and splendor that it promises, and we can grasp it right now. Again, it's not something in the future. And most of us probably feel this uneasiness and discontentment in whatever situation you might be in. Um, And that's why I find this verse in 1 Timothy so life-giving, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me read that again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So that leaves us with uh, just a big choice. Will you accept the good news? That's our big choice of the day. So if you're here today and you've absolutely never considered following Jesus, uh, I'm going to tell you a few things that might sound weird. Um, Stop trying to be a good person. Stop trying to come to church to feel better. And stop trying to earn your way to this good life. I tell you this truth this morning, that the kingdom of God is actively fighting for you. Uh, God is pursuing you. Whether or not you feel it, he is. It's promised in the scriptures. Uh, And if you believe that you're not good enough to be with God, I'll ease your mind a little bit this morning. It's that you aren't, and none of us are. Um, But I want you to remember the end of her story. Keep this in your brain, that all things are possible with God. And God made that possibility with his son who died on the cross and walked out of the grave three days later. And I can't think of anything to put our hope in other than that. And when we all get to heaven and we say, I've come in the name of Jesus Christ, and the guards snap to attention and they open the gates, I would love to see you there with me. What I urge you to do today is to give your entire life to Jesus because the kingdom is right here right now. Secondly, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, if this is something that you've already done, you've made that decision, I urge you today to just continue your journey of repentance. Continue that journey of turning away, turning back to God. Take the warnings of Jesus that we, we see here seriously and just turn to Jesus. Again, God is pursuing us, so pursue him. Pursue prayer, pursue scripture, fast, serve, rest, witness, Sabbath, Whatever you need to do to pursue God, do it. Because he's waiting for us to reveal our true selves to him. He's calling out, just like in the garden, in the original sin, he's he's calling out this question, where are you? And it's not because he doesn't know where you are. It's because he's giving you a chance to come out of hiding and repent and be in that relationship with him. That's all he wants. He wants that relationship with us more than anything else in creation. And he did that through his son. He wants you, so no matter how far you think you've strayed away from God, it's not, it's not too far. Just turn back to him and join up and enter the kingdom because eternity starts right now. So let's pray for that. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your son. Um, we just thank you for this community and these people. Uh, God, we ask you that you keep um, just pursuing us and just let us pursue you back and just make a way for us to um, come to you as little children, um, as people that are poor in spirit, as people that are broken and needy. Um, just come rescue us from the evil one and come swoop us up in your arms. And, and we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for your grace and, and his grace in our lives. And um, as we leave this place today, uh, let us just wrestle with these questions. Let us wrestle with repentance um, and just let us spread your gospel and your good news throughout this place, God. Um, we thank you so much for everything you give to us that we don't deserve. Amen.